You flew the Gulf Fire over Leningrad. You know how to get in quiet. You're all I've got. I guess I go in one way or the other. Doesn't mean shit to me. Give me the paper. When you come out? Before. I told you I wasn't a fool. Call me Snake. Glad you remember me. Yeah. A man should remember his past. Kansas City, four years ago, you ran out on me. You left me sitting there. You were late. We were buddies, Harold. You, me, and Fresno Bob. You know what they did to Bob? Hmm? You want to see him sprayed all over that map, baby? Where's the president? I swear to God, Snake, I don't know. Don't fuck with me. I, uh, I want to thank you. Anything you want, you, you just name it. Just a moment of your time. Three minutes, sir. Uh, yes? We did get you out. A lot of people died in the process. I just wondered how you felt about it. Well, I, <clears throat> I want to thank them. Uh, this nation appreciates their sacrifice. We'd make one hell of a team, Snake. The name's Pliskin. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back. To another sweet, sweet episode. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do it right here, and you got to kneel it. You got to do it with conviction. I know. Welcome to another sweet, sweet podcast. Listen, listen. I, 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 if you listen to the Black Widow podcast, I was violated. Yeah. Um, so was I, and I wasn't even there. I was sacked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I yeah. See, I was violated by a co-host who I have nothing but the utmost respect for, um, but demanded to take over the role of host. Um, so now I'm all. Uh, Intimidated because he's yeah. on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> he's blushing. He's shy about his sweet, sweet podcast. I know, uh, but you're not going to give me this one because this is this is Escape from New York. All right, so everybody, uh, welcome to Citizens Frame, another sweet, sweet episode, and this will be spoiler filled and it contains harsh language as usual. Today, I'm joined with the usual band of misfits. Trevor, good to be here. Hey, are and Colin. How's it going, everybody? There you go. Um, today, as I just mentioned, we're talking about Escape from New York, the 1981 classic. And quite frankly, it always will be a classic because it has John Carpenter's name on top of it. Uh, John Carpenter, as you all know by listening to our podcasts, he is my favorite director of all time. Like that? That's my dramatic pause. <laughs> Yep, works for me. We're just going to jump one, uh, jump right into this one. Here's the cool thing about watching this again. I always tell, I always tell our viewer, our viewers, our listeners, that we, I like to when I watch a film for the first time under the Citizen Frame goggles, you kind of pick up on stuff. Yeah, I, I and, can't watch any film now, um, or I, I always watched and sort of read stuff with a critical eye. But you know, with doing the magazine and Citizen Frame. Um, I, I cannot watch anything or read anything now without doing it with a critical eye. You know, it's kind of tough. Yeah. You know, um, but it's not, you can't really, I can't really, you know, well, it would, it would be tougher if it's something you haven't seen, yes. but you want to like it, but then you start ripping it apart. But more, mine's more of the opposite where it's when I see something that I love so much and now I watch it with a critical eye. I even I even appreciate it more. Yeah, and those are the those are the ones I like. Or what can happen as well, which has happened to me, where I um you know I had a favorite film as a kid or whatever, or I remembered watching something as a kid and you know fond memories of it, and then rewatching it with adult eyes and well basically it's shit, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
We've done a couple of those. I come in peace was mine. And I have to yeah, and I, I have to at this point um apologize to you, Kieran, because I think it was a couple of years ago at Halloween I posted on Facebook praising Halloween three and um how I was gonna revisit it and it's a classic and it's brilliant. And yeah, I think it, it, it um you know, watching it again, yeah, it's not great. There's some couple of great scenes and um <sighs> I remember I remember debating with you online at the time. Yeah, I, I sort of take back a lot of my enthusiasm at, at the time after rewatching it as an adult. It's funny you say that because uh, we're going to be doing Halloween 3. We're just going to throw it in for a Halloween retrospective yeah. the, when we do it. And uh, my opinion might have changed on that one. Mm-hmm. So we'll be, that'd be a fun one to do. Halloween doesn't have good movies other than the ones named just Halloween. What is it? Well, they all, well yeah, yeah, well, Halloween. So Halloween, we the original. Yeah. Yeah. Halloween the Rob Zombie one is okay. Horrible. Horrible. And the 2018 reboot slash remake. Okay. That's it's fair, it's okay. a, it's a fair observation. I have a soft spot for Halloween 2, but there's more of a story. There's more of a personal story to that one. Yeah, and it's written by Carpenter as well. Yeah, so we'll be doing Halloween 2 for the retrospective for sure. Um, just to compare apples to oranges. Um, okay. Well, anyways, we're here to talk about... <laughs> we're here to talk about another Carpenter film. <laughs> yeah. Let's start off with what I have to say. It's my boy, Carpenter, the renaissance man of filmmaking, the score. Yeah. Love my John Carpenter score. This is when he finally teams up with um, Alan Haworth, who he does a lot of collaboration with in his uh, next pro- his next few projects. Um, love the score. I, love it. I do. Yeah, I think it's a cracking score. However, I prefer his Assault on Precinct 13 score. I think that's his best, in fact. Okay, okay. That's fair enough. Uh, you're an idiot, because Halloween's his best. Well, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Halloween's <laughs> iconic, but I think um, my favorite with that would always will always be Assault on Precinct 13, the score. Did you guys catch the... Uh, that was Jamie Lee Curtis? Yes. I didn't catch it, but I, I later found out. Yeah, that was uh, Jim- which was Jamie Lee Curtis? The computer Jamie voice. Lee Curtis is the... Is the computer voice? She's the one who narrates us what's happening to Manhattan Island. Oh, is it? Yeah, that's her. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, as you know, the basic story: Snake Plissken, the world's most sought-after criminal, criminal, is I heard been he's asked. Dead. What? I heard he was dead. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, he's set to go to Manhattan Island, which is now a prison. Back, well, in all fairness, back in the seventies, it wouldn't be too far from the truth. Um. Is now an island for fugitives and prisoners and the unwanted. He is sent in to go get the president after the plane is sabotaged and crashes in to uh, into Manhattan. Um, that's the basic story. Um, you know what? This film again, it has a lot going for it. And in reviewing this a little bit and researching a bit, there's some great facts here. I'm a big fan of matte painting. You know, like, yeah. You know the old traditional matte look and and um uh, putting little miniatures in with it and stuff like There's that brilliant model work it, as well y- yes and it's i in reading this this is really cool and anyways the landscaping was all done well not all done but james cameron yes it, it's it, it's um i think it's um part of it um it's from the blade runner set as well N- no 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 it's the reversed so james cameron one of his sorry he yes to do graphic he, yeah. did, he used to do graphic design for films Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just small stuff, but he did the mat work for this film, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, uh, so just showing, you know, some great talent came from 
you know, came from his kid from New York. Not to mention the talent already was already doing it. Also, you just mentioned it. The miniatures of the city, a lot of the miniatures used in this film, uh, were then reused for Blade Runner. Yes, that's a yeah, yeah. Um, again, showing the influence of this film and some of the stuff that uh, that that came from it. But anyways, we got Snake. We got Snake, and we all know that just by listening to him, he stole the idea. For, not stole the idea. It's more of an homage to John Wayne. Yes. Uh, and Clint Eastwood. No, I was going to, sorry, I was going to say there, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, it was more apparently more of a sort of inspiration for the character. Yeah. So what we're going to do is to him, and he just pretty much says his lines. You know, hey, what's up, hey? You know? And he does. He does sound like, a lot like Clint Eastwood. And um, what do you guys think of the overall intro of our boy Snake? Yeah, he's pretty badass, you know. It's it sets him up well, and um, you know, you know, this guy sort of means business. He's a badass. He's um the sort of classic anti-hero, you know. There's that exposition with Lee Van Cleef, you know, where he's saying, you know, he was a highly decorated soldier and all this, and and then you know he, he was imprisoned, you know, for for the robbery, the heist thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a good guy, you know. The the coolness is sort of hanging out of him. Yeah. I would oh. go the complete opposite side to that and say that Michael Myers, the shape, had more personality than this guy. Nope. Well, see, rewatching the film, I have to, I have to admit that it, it is light on plot and characterization. But you know what? So what? It, it, it's not. A, but that's that's the point. Yeah, exactly. It's a B movie. He's not a caricature. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. So I, I can sort of happily. I mean, and you can certainly see the sort of the sort of inspiration. By the man with no name, you know, in, in the Dollars trilogy, you know, with Clint Eastwood and stuff, you know, it's you know, it's not meant to be heavy on characterization or plot. You, yeah, you but try it's not heavy on anything. Like you, you I don't mean, like I, Snake Plissken? No. What? And this is the weird thing because again, <laughs> I bought this movie even before we knew we were doing it because I remember watching this movie with Nula years ago, and I was like, that yeah, was all right. Having watched it there on Monday horrible this movie i was just like there's nothing to this movie it sucks <laughs> what <It's> sacrilege yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not i'm not sorry to make that statement either this movie has nothing going for it the plot's thin <laughs> the acting's bad i mean but, other than the score and the director's name no but you have to get it you have to get that that it, it is a, it's an intentional b movie and that's it's a, a sp- sp- it's a spaghetti western yeah you know set and, you know, in the, in the not too distant future. Yeah, you have to get what wow. They were I'm, I'm, I'm to sh- I, 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 It's not meant. To, it's not meant to be Ben Hur. You know. Um. Well, you know what? Let's move on. There, there. We we'll praise it, of course. But there's some funny <laughs> things. You know, when they when they on that when they takes over the plane. Yeah. And they, they go, yeah, President, we got to get you the skate pod. They just throw him in this little egg thing, <laughs> and I'm sorry, he'd be dead by the time he landed. <laughs> No, you say that, belt. but everyone knows that eggs are particularly resistant to pressure from certain angles. <laughs> oh God, here we go. That's the one thing he likes about the movie. I'm <laughs> okay yeah, with the egg. It was the only part. Yeah, um, it's scientifically sound. The uh, we know that he was uh, got caught because of the Federal Reserve robbery, Snake Plissken's, and um, that's one of the scenes that cut out of the film. You can watch it on the, right? the uh, outtakes on YouTube. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, and that's where you beat Brain is in that scene as well. Right, cool. Um, I have to, I have so to yeah. say, I have to say, um, you can't say anything about the acting of Harry Dean Stanton. 
Um, I mean, he he's just fucking always awesome in everything he's in. Yeah, I just heard it. And there's Bergnine, it's brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it has a, an character. amazing cast. Adrian Barbeau. You have you have you have a handful you know? of different characters. Uh, you have. You have Brain, Maggie, Hawk, Romeo, Duke, President, the cabbie. Those are pretty much only a handful of characters you yeah. have to deal with. So he flies in onto onto the the uh, the Twin Towers on his uh, on his what do you call those hydrogliders? Yeah. Oh, hydro- I just call gliders. it glider. Stealth glider. Stealth glider. Uh, what's I like about it because when they landed, he was down on the ground. They didn't show him walking all the way down. You know what I mean? Some of these films have a tendency to linger on shots or linger on a scene. Yeah. He gets well, to point A to point B. He, 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 sometimes it's questionable how he makes it to point A to point B so quickly. But, it, yeah, it gets there It gets there enough. We don't need to see him walking 30 miles to get to point B. Mm-hmm. Um, they just get to the point, which I like. Um, there's a scene I didn't like. Because I know the character is pretty much about himself, and he's focused on himself, and he obviously has been given uh, this time limit. Was it twelve hours? And he has been given an injection, and that injection will go off and kill him if he doesn't come back with the president. Uh, yeah. So he's really focused on this one thing. But there's a scene that I just caught, and I think he should have. Uh, he's walking through this uh, Broadway, I guess you could say, because he's going to this old theater and you see all these, you know, uh, this play going on and musical. And he walks past when this girl's being raped and he just stops, looks, and he walks away. Uh, yeah. Well, I thought they should have, he should have done something there because it was kind of, I watched it like, he should have stepped kind of an in. Odd one kind of walk. Yeah, he should have stepped in. I think that's not really his character. His character is just doing the mission, isn't it? Yeah. He, yeah, yeah I know. I kind of, that's why I mentioned that in the beginning. But I don't know. I just because at the end, I think I think the fact that it's an actual rape, as opposed to maybe seeing someone getting killed or something, and them walking away or a fight or something. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying, but it sort of adds to his "I don't give a fuck," you know, attitude. And well, it, the, the whole thing, the whole point of the his character is his arc is that at the end, we we obviously know he he pretty much befriends. Well, we already know he's his ex buddies with Brain, but he becomes friends with Cabby. And Maggie. Um, so, and he kind of, at the end, he even mentions them at the end to the president. So he does have a soft spot. He eventually, you know, he has that little slight arc. Yeah. I thought that would have been a nice little arc to give him as well. Uh, but you're right. That's It would be outside his character this early in the movie, I suppose. Um, so there's a great scene where he's, <laughs> he gets shot in the leg with the arrow. Mm-hmm. And he quickly reacts to the Chinese star. Remember yeah, that? Yeah. So there's this is great scene where before he before he goes into uh into New York, he's given all these weapons and they're perfectly displayed. <laughs> like perfectly like like he's buying them. Like it's yeah. a showroom. Uh, which you guess you get in all these kind of films, whether it's a superhero film or or this kind of film. And you see the two stars are sitting there, these huge stars. So you knew they were going to come into play. That actually uh, reminded me a bit of, you know, the Bond films with um, Q, you know, where he's showing them his latest yeah, gadgets, the gadgets and stuff, you know. Um, there is a, the scene where he goes in, when he's still walking, he's kind of getting this turf down. He he walks into the Chuckle Nuts where he runs into the girl. Um, and she ends up, she ends up getting taken. 
by the street dwellers, whatever you call them, the sewer dwellers. Yeah. That season Hubley, that's Kurt Russell's wife. I was just about life. to say that. Well, yeah, at the time. That was season Hubley. Yeah. yeah um, season something. Season Hubley. Yes. Yeah. Um, that was a really pointless scene. Yeah. I think it was just to put her in it. Yeah, so I think pretty much. Yeah, more than likely. Um, of course, Carpenter's uh, oh, wife at the time. Of course, Adrian Barbeau. Yeah, yeah. And her two yeah. and her two mates. <laughs> yeah. God, I love Adrian. Barbeau. Oh yeah, they, she is all woman. And and her mates. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so when he goes to the only thing I have with it, when he goes, so the cabbie picks him up. Ernest Borgnine's character, and he's into that whole swing music. Yes, and he gives him a lift to uh, to meet Brain. He doesn't know Brain is Harry Dean Stanton, um, and obviously, who betrayed him, get him, causing him to get caught. Where you know the situation he's in now. Now, what does Brain do for the Duke? Fuel. It's just fuel, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, just fuel. He likes. He, yeah. He's basically, I was going to say a gun runner, but a fuel runner. You know, he just does, he's just basically one of the people he uses in, in New York, you know, to do jobs for him. Okay. Um, I thought he did a little more than that for some reason. Because um, I thought he just had a lot more leeway. The Duke gave him a lot more leeway than well, most. Well, you know, it's kind of like, he's his, he's his intellect, he's his scientist, he works out the fuel and all yeah. that. Yeah. So. There's probably more to it, but again, the movie doesn't really flesh it out. Well, the fact that he's called Brian, you know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, yeah. Um, so, when they get caught, and there's a character, and he's called Double Day. He's the one with the big spiky yes, hair. Yes, I love him. And has that fucking creepy laugh. He looks like um, Steve Buscemi. You know, with the, the, with the wild eyes and stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's got that Edward Scissorhands hairdo. Yeah. Uh, but... He was in Assault of Precinct 13. He was the guy who shot the girl. Yes. Yes. And, but his performance, I actually really like, even over Kurt Russell's. It's a small one, but it's creepy. Yep. Because it plays a lot like the Joker. Yeah, he's insane. Yeah, and if you can see, even, I'm not comparing apples to oranges, but Heath Ledger's performance and Jared Leto's performance, they have a lot of resemblance of this character, especially the laugh. It's more of a cackle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great scene where he finally gets his upcoming. He gets stabbed when they're going to steal the cassette tape. Yes, uh, they need to get the cassette pa- tape. Uh, even over the president, they just need to get the cassette tape that the president has on him. He stabs, um, brain stabs, double day, and he leaves. He lets out this sigh. This you know, there's like this hiss. Yeah, when he stabs him, he screams for a quick second, and then he lets. It was just cool. I mean, it's just little stuff like that. I thought really made the film. And especially with Doubleday, I just think he should be mentioned because I think it's a pretty no, cool he, character. No, he's a brilliant um, henchman. And the, and the funny thing is, I think he should have had a bigger role than d- the Duke. Because I thought the Duke, and I'm not saying I didn't like Isaac Hayes, Mr. Shaft himself. I was going to say, and I, I would just like to give special mention as well to that fucking car of his. And the chandeliers on it. <laughs> yeah, the chandeliers on it. When uh, I thought the Duke was kind of bland. He's, and I almost wish Doubleday would have had that role. He has a good physical presence, Isaac Hayes, but that's really about it. But maybe that was, again, the point where the Duke's just more this cool, laid-back, from-the-shadows kind of guy. Doesn't yeah. say much. Yeah. All right. Okay. His, his 
peak really is the end chase scene where he's running them down. Yeah. When they get caught, um, they put uh, Kurt Russell in the ring. And Kurt Russell's in this big wrestling ring, kind of like they're in uh, not Central Park, they're in uh, Madison Square Garden or something like that. Yep. And they're there. There's he has the big wrestling match. He's going to put him in with this big fucker. And he sees that one of the side judges, whatever, has the tracking device. Because right now, at this point, everybody in the uh, home base thinks he's dead because his tracking is down. Yep. So he needs to get that back. So he's but in order for him to get that back, he's got to fight this big fucker. And this guy was really hitting him. Yeah. And he actually had to tell him to stop because he's like cursed. Like you need to stop. You're too powerful for me. I can't. So Kurt Russell had to kick him in the balls. Can I say his word? To get, Sorry, go ahead. To get him to ease up. Yeah. <laughs> in real, and this is not part of the film. This is actually uh, what happened on the set. Uh, after, yeah, I read that as well on IMDb. Uh, but, but what sort of did slightly bug me about this, after um, Kurt Russell kills him with a spike to the head, it cuts away to oh, the side cut, and yeah, there's that, no blood. It's a great death. Oh, yeah, it's a great death. Well, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. But there's... You wouldn't right away. But, because he's got... Uh, first, they, they have to use baseball bats. Yeah. <laughs> then they upgrade them with baseball bats. With spikes on them. Uh, with spikes and with garbage uh, tin uh, tops. And But when he hits him, he hits him in the stomach. We wouldn't see that right away. And then he hits him in the head. But you wouldn't see any blood right away. Uh, well. Would you? I think you would. <laughs> yeah. No. With nails? No, you, no, you wouldn't. Because the nails wouldn't. would keep the blood in the skull. Yeah. But but had, he, but had he not removed the, the, the spike? No. No, nope. just stuck in. Oh, we're still he stuck in his in. head. And oh, right. We, no. And we saw from a distance. I stand corrected. Yep. Uh, but it's a great. You didn't like that scene? There? No, no, I love the scene. I just no, no. I'm talking to Colin. Oh, sorry. sorry. I mean, not really. It wasn't very well choreographed. Oh my god! <laughs> like, again, I know your argument. Was... Is, I know your argument is it's a B movie, spaghetti western, blah blah blah. But at the same time, Halloween was a B movie. Halloween was solid. That's different films. Yeah, and it, 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 but, but when, it's the but same when he, director or writer, right? When he's hit, when he's hitting him with that, you can see Kurt Russell going down, taking that hit. That's not good choreograph. That's not well shot. I don't think it was. I just the whole thing just left me just numb. I didn't feel anything about it. Wow, wow. Right. Uh, I think maybe it's you know there's maybe um, I don't know maybe you just have perhaps. Um, a lack of emotional attachment to maybe Snake Plissken. Um, so you don't well, really... So, so therefore, when he's like fighting for his death, you don't really care for what happens. Well, that's probably true. And you sort of know he's like, going to win anyway, because like it's a fucking film, you know? Well, yes, yeah. but I mean, that's the same with most of them. But I just didn't find the character interested in any capacity. Yeah. And again, maybe it's also my detachment from Carpenter, because as a director, I'm just like, okay... I don't really admire directors. I'm like, James Cameron's brilliant. You know, John Carpenter's amazing. I couldn't give a shit. At the end of the day, yes, they bring something to it, but, you know, great. That's what you're paid for. Um, that doesn't make any sense, what you're saying, though. You're well, you're saying a director's just there to direct? Well. It has nothing to do with... So True not Lies... Always, no. So The Terminator and True Lies, anyone could have done that? Well... I would like to um, just brief very quickly. Your argument doesn't make any sense what you just said yeah, there. I would just like to, uh, um, what Colin's saying, I think there is a certain truth to that with a lot of modern films where they're basically, it's factory filmmaking. However, whenever you get a director yeah. who has a true vision, like Carpenter or say um, Quentin Tarantino, 
Kubrick, um, you know, the likes of, even um, now, nowadays, where I just watched the Suicide Squad at the weekend, James Gunn, you, you know, they will leave a mark on a film. You know, when it, you'll know a John Carpenter film, you'll know a Tarantino film, you know. Um, so th- these are guys, you know, proper visionaries. However, a lot of modern films these days, they're just the fucking same to me. Oh, yeah, they're, they're guns for hire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's why you don't see Cameron does his own stuff now. Yeah, He's, he kind of hides, and Carpenter doesn't really do work. He mm-hmm. just sells his stuff to you know he he produces and still does music. Yeah. Um. So he got a, he got out of it. Uh, yeah, and, and David but, Lynch. But, but to call to call Carpenter and Cameron guns for hire, that I'm shocked you said that. Yeah, guy. there's shocked. no way. No, that was good. And in shocked. fact, David Lynch. The reason David Lynch has come out, he actually recently came out in recent years and said that the reason he has directed very little is because, you know, well, there, there's no real... Studios don't want to finance his types of fucking real batshit crazy films. But also, yeah. you know, the film industry has changed completely. You know, um, you know, essentially Lynch and people, you know, Carpenter and all as well, and, and Tarantino, they're artists. Uh, so much of the, the dross that comes out of Hollywood these days is not art. It's just, like, as I was saying yeah. earlier, factory filmmaking. Because the studios are to blame for that, not the actual director. Maybe there, there's maybe some amazing upcoming directors out there, but they're stuck on the sort of indie circuits and stuff and making their own stuff because the studios won't take a risk on them. It's just, I think the problem. It's the same I, with the I music industry. The, I th- yeah, that's what to say that the directors are a lot like music. Yeah, people will know Scorsese. Yeah, they'll know Carpenter. They'll know Kubrick. Mm-hmm. They'll know whether you like him or not. They they know their name. Yeah. What? Give me a director today. Yeah, I, I can name you a couple, and that's that, about it. It's the same thing with music. Yes, yeah. The band, the music that comes out today, it it's, won't be played in forty years like the Beatles music. One hundred percent. It's manufactured crap, and a lot a lot of things um, to blame for it are the likes of the X Factor and the way the, the, the as Noel Gallagher said um, recently, he said um, these uh, music um, you know ones who you know these big music moguls, um, they they don't want rock stars who are going to cause some problems and and who are you know actually you know fucking musically talented and, and you know possibly genius they want ones who are going to do what they're told and and, and the result is the music that, that that is produced is bland and totally forgettable yeah they don't want rebels um well on that note we'll just move on here we're coming <laughs> to the climax scene you know you know and, and this scene i really enjoyed um again we've got the chase scene it's not really a chase scene to be fairness they're not going around you know but it is they have to cut across the bridge to get picked up by uh, to get over the wall, um, and he's got only got a few minutes to get there before his you know the, the capsules in his neck explode and to get the president over that wall. But the trick is they got the, the minefield that's in the uh, on the bridge, and um, as cheesy as it was, of course it was. It was fun to watch. Yeah, and the Duke's coming after him with his head, you know, this chandelier uh, Cadillac, and obviously during this uh, time they hit a couple of mines, and the car splits in half, yeah. which is perfectly splits in half. <laughs> uh, which I, you know, what it gives it a little charm. Absolutely silly, but it gives it a little charm. But we lose brain, and we lose. No, we lose. Uh, we, yeah, we end up losing brain, and we we lose them all. We lose Cabby, brain. And Maggie's death was the hard one yeah. because when Brain dies, she won't. She she decides to uh, pretty much do a uh, kamikaze by taking Snake's gun and standing there and shooting at Duke's car, and she gets pummeled, um, and she gets hit pretty good. Um, you know what? Though? Her death was the only one that was worthwhile, though. 
Yeah, I will give you that. Apparently, her, her brains was just him being an idiot. Apparently, Callie just died because the car broke in half. Now, apparently, according to what yeah, I you're, read, you're right about that. Her death um, was originally, um, you know, you didn't see her, you know, that extra shot of her lying there, sort of after being rammed. Um, but apparently, um, um, Carpenter, that that um, you know, scene of her lying dead was added later after Carpenter showed it to a test audience, which included a 15-year-old, J.J. Abrams. And J.J. Abrams, Abrams claims that it was him that suggested that extra shot of her lying there dead for more impact. Now, whether that's true or not, um, you know, I think I, he was I probably in the audience. Because, well, you know, it's funny. I can see that just because the other guys, well, you kind of, you saw... You, they're, they're guys. Yeah. So I think when you see the the uh, the uh, after effect of the woman's death is more effective. Yes. Um. So they get to the wall. Snake's climbing up the wall. The president stops the cat up the the uh, conveyor, but whatever it is, uh, the rope for bringing them up. Yeah. This is pretty insane. He blows away, and it's it always gets me because you always forget when you're going to hear the gun sound. Yes. Because you don't know what's coming right away, and he pummels. Um. The Duke with a shitload of bullets yeah. saying, You're A number one. You're the Duke. Duke. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Snake I fucking, I absolutely love Donald Pleasance in this. Um, number one, he's got a British accent as the American um, president. And, <laughs> yeah, and one of one of the most funniest things, um, you know, I've seen in film is whenever they put the blonde wig on him. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And at the end, Snake asked the president a question. I know some good people died tonight looking for you. This is what we talked about the arc, where you guys felt the arc should have been left a little later in the film, which I felt he should have helped that woman. But I get now this is his arc where he asked the president, a lot of good people died uh, trying to save you. I want to know what you thought about him. He pretty much just brushes it off. And Snake, and then you, there's this, there's a side shot, the, uh, the officer, what's his name? Remy, played by great Tom, Tom Atkins. Atkins. Yes. He knows why he asked that question. Mm-hmm. You can see that look in uh, Tom Atkins. He's not a huge part in it, but it's a nice ensemble of Car- Carpenter characters yeah. that he's had before from The Fog, Assault of Precinct Thane, and Halloween. And you can see Remy just looking at him going, nice one, uh, Snake, I like it. Yeah, Can I just say um, as well, it, it's a very nihilistic ending because basically there's no good guys, um, including the president. You know, yeah. It was all essentially yeah. for nothing. The whole film, which is a very bleak um, and sort of um, nihilistic message, but it totally works for me because uh, I, I like my depression shit, you know. And and everybody always says, "You call me, call me Snake, call me Snake." And at the end, he goes, "Snake, we make a good team." Yeah, call me Pliskin. Pliskin. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's his character arc. Yeah, go get him, Snake. Yeah, I mean Pliskin. Yeah, um, leave on Cleef. I mean, he's just fucking. Ah, yeah. I I, I just love about we'll leave on Cleef. He has such a weird face. But, um, you know, um, with the likes of Leone and stuff, and, you know, they always lingered long on his face because it's so uh, such a weird face, but such an interesting face, face as well, you know? He uh, he died young, and yeah. uh, but I, 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 I knew of his career in the 60s with, with uh, Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. And uh, he never aged, but he, that, he's got that distinct voice. Yeah. Great and voice. And the face as well. You know, it's like more, you got these actors who got great voice, like Morgan Freeman's up there. Yeah, John Hurt. You got John Hurt, and then you've got, of course... Uh, um, uh, uh, Cleef. Yeah. All right. Uh, Richard Burton as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a wrap on Escape from New York. Pretty quick one. I mean, the backup Colin, which I'm, you know, you rarely, rarely say that. It's a simple film. It's not meant to reinvent the wheel by any means, but it's all about the execution 
I, uh, but uh, we'll start with uh, what you guys thought of the execution. And, of course, we'll start with you, Trevor. Yeah, I mean, I think it it is thoroughly entertaining. And, you know, it really does deserve the title as a cult classic. For so, for, for various reasons, I um, always associate um, uh, Assault on Precinct 13 with the Warriors. I think they're brilliant companion pieces. You know, there's that bleak dystopian sort of New York setting. And, you know, it, you know there's similar, you know, the gangs and stuff. There's a similar sort of um, threads going on there. I th- yes, it's simplistic. There, but um, it's it's meant to be simplistic, you know. It's not meant to be Shakespeare, and it's thoroughly entertaining. And it's just it's just a sort of film that has a real, as you mentioned earlier, Karen charm, stuff like that. And, and that's not meant to sound in a condescending way, you know, like some people would do with films like Tommy Wiseau, because Carpenter knows what he's doing. You know what I mean? It's just a fun film and thoroughly entertaining. It, it does exactly what it says in the tin. Um, I think uh, it has very memorable characters, a brilliant cast, and uh, yeah, I, I, it's you know I, I'm I'm quite. Whenever I watch a film like that, I'm not looking for a deep, sensitive plot or you know um, you know really well rounded characters. I'm just looking at a bit of fucking badassery, you know. Yeah, there you go, Colin. You're up, my good man. What's your final thought? Terrible. <laughs> um. Yeah, I there's there's simple films and then there's this. It's just so thin, like really really thin. The characters aren't likable, including the main character. There's not much of a story. It's just no. It has no personality to it, and maybe it's an age thing. Maybe you had to kind of grow up with it, or. I don't know, because again, I said, I remember watching it, and I did enjoy it, but again, that can be down to company, where they're like, check this out, look at this, look at this, and you're like, oh yeah. Um, Watching it on my own, no. Um, Just didn't do it for me. Uh, Maybe, again, comes down to that commando thing of, just now, watching that sort of movie, um, it it doesn't do it for me. And that could well just be personal taste, but yeah, it wouldn't be one on my must-watch-this-again list. All right. Fair enough. Uh, to, you know, yeah, to each their own. Um, but uh, I'm going to go complete opposite direction. This is in my top 20 films of all time. I love this film. Um, you talked about, um, Trevor, how it reminisced a little bit of Sultra Precinct 13, a little bit of The Warriors. Yes. And it does, but you forgot one. It has a little bit of Magnificent Seven in there. Yeah, yeah. Where this is a death, this is a death wish. So when he starts bringing on this other team, the cabbie and the brain and Maggie... They're not going to make it. You know they're not. They're not. They're not going to make it. Apparently, Carpenter. Um, sorry, just to jump in there briefly. Apparently, Carpenter has stated that it is in part inspired by Death Wish, the original. Yeah, um, I don't see that, but um, he did mention that, but I don't see it personally. To be fair, like grittiness, maybe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, but you know, it it, it, it no, it's a state. It's a film that is is given us you know a lot of other. Um, Dean Cundy, the uh, the director of photography, who's went on to be winning Oscars. You have obviously the introduction of Alan Haworth, John Carpenter's uh, uh, music supervisor and co writer of the music. You had James Cameron doing the mat. You had obviously this is kind of the movie that put Kurt Russell as Kurt Russell because after this we got the lovely, lovely, lovely The Thing. Um, not to mention Big Trouble in China, um, which is obviously a, a Carpenter a Carpenter fave of mine. Um, yeah, I just love the fact, and maybe it's because I'm such a Carpenter fanboy that I loved Halloween in the Fog so much, even growing up back then. 
I recognize all the character actors that were in that film, that were in those films, that are they're all in it. Yep. He even has the guy from The Fog who was the grocery clerk when all the things start going off. He's in this. He plays the guy who who, who puts the uh, the capsules in, in Kurt Russell's neck. Um, so I like how he always kind of oh, uses and the, the same... doctor is also named after yeah. David Cronenberg. Uh, yes, yes, Cronenberg was his name. That's correct. Same guy. And so he always has these homages to other films he grew up with, and it's nice to see him uh, kind of homaging himself a little bit with Assault of Precinct Thirteen and some of the other actors he brought along with him for the ride. It's just a fun ride. It's it's an hour and a half. It was it's a good time, fun comic book-esque characters, which you don't take seriously. Um, sadly, we didn't get enough Snake Plissken. We ended up getting a skiff from L.A., which is not... I remember watching it at the time, um, but I would have to revisit it before, but, um, you know, we make yeah, a proper judgment. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're going to remake this. Fuck. So, I, why? Well, you know, I, I just find that pointless. Yeah, well, the rumor is Gerard Butler. Yeah. Um, who I actually kind of like, but you can't put an American accent. It has to be an American accent to play that part. Just leave the classics alone, Hollywood. Yeah, but there are rumor has that they've been working on for a long time, and it's going to happen, unfortunately. Um, but there's nothing we can do about it. And the sad thing is, and I know Colin wasn't a fan of it, and I'm not going to th- you know rip on Colin for not liking it, but I hate him. Like you ripped on me about the lighthouse, but I'm really yeah. Well, that's that one much different film. <laughs> I'm Colin back me up on that one, but I think. The problem with remaking films these days, um, I don't like using the word simple or or charm or there's charm because it sounds like I mean, we're insulting the film, but we're clearly yeah. not. Of course. But if they remake this, they're just going to fucking CGI green screen mm-hmm. it, over the top violence, nudity, and they're just going to ruin it. It'll be it. completely charmless, I would imagine. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it's a simple film. And what Colin thinks simple, it doesn't work. It works for me. They're, they're also yeah, and they're also remaking Highlander, which is just like what? What's the fucking point? You know? Yeah, yeah. I'm but with you on that one, um, we should do Highlander, guys. I haven't seen. I am movie. totally up for that. That is one of my all time favorites. Seen it? I I saw it when it came out. Oh, that's how long it's been. It is one of the. It's one of my all time favorites. It is amazing. Yeah, we should get to Highlander. I I love that movie, but it's terrible because you have a French Canadian being a Scottish guy, and you have I, a Scottish guy being a Portuguese guy. But when you're watching that at well, ten years old. You don't. You don't even. That yeah. just goes over your head. You know, <laughs> dude. It's it's Connery, man. We watched Hunt for October. We're like, fuck it, man. This is awesome. Yeah. He's the only one in the Russian sub speaking Scottish. <laughs> yeah. No. Highland, he didn't even Highlander. try. And it has an amazing villain as well with the Kurgan. Happy Halloween, ladies. I I remember the introduction of an actor I really like, Clancy. Yeah, Brown. he's brilliant. And but uh, guys, I have not watched that in probably twenty. 35 years and it has an amazing soundtrack as well by Queen it does yeah Queen um, so there you go uh, Skiff and two two massive yippee yippee yep. yippee yep. and one go fuck yourself <laughs> yeah but uh, that's Colin he's just a really rude person <laughs> I really am uh, <laughs> well I mean for play Colin you know what I mean you know it's each their own and you know you, you're sticking to your guns so fair play you know, the funny thing is, uh, yeah, I, I got to give Colin credit. He does stick with his guns. Yeah. And um, just to let you know, guys, he still will be a co-host. Yeah. Because I know... It's, <laughs> unlike uh, unlike me getting sacked such, in the last podcast and then having to be reinstated this, behind the scenes uh, after loads of political is, turmoil within the Citizen Frame ranks. <laughs> this is such a beloved film. Even if you show it to younger generation now, they like it. 
Um, and it, it, maybe it's because of their parents telling about it. You kind of mentioned it, Colin. When you're watching with somebody who really likes it, you kind of get into it. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's where it could it could be a you know you're passing on your favorite band or your favorite ball club to your son or daughter. That's what this film must be because everybody likes it. So I'm shocked to each their own. But I I applaud your your honesty about it. But it might be because I didn't see it when I was young. Like the first yeah. time I saw this movie, I was in my twenties, and I'm revisiting it at my mid to late thirties. I 30s. think possibly as well, which is another thing that sometimes, uh, well, um, quite a lot of the time, it can affect my taste and things. Is if things are hyped up too much, and then you're expecting like the greatest film ever made or the greatest book ever written, and then when you actually get yeah. down to it, it's like even with you know um, big films coming out these days, they're hyped up so much, you know, by the media and the studios and stuff, which you understand totally. But then when you actually get to it, you know, like the, the those recent Star Wars films are, are, are apart from the first one, The Force Awakens, um, the second two were absolutely, you know, awful. Um, well, the second one had some good points, I have to admit. I know it's been widely criticised, but I think hype can be a bad thing with certain things. Yeah, that's why I kind of stay away from the hype or stay away from movie trailers as best you can. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, the hype gives you too much anticipation and trailers yeah. give you give it too much away it gives you the opposite of what hype does yeah and trailers um, also have a tendency to make make shit up yeah like there's scenes that don't yeah. make it into the final cut yeah or scenes that were shot, shot specifically just for the trailer yes yeah um and I, i'm a bit of a but that's i'm a bit it. of a dick as well and that i love spoilers unlike <laughs> most seeing people i will always read spoilers i don't get that it's just me it's to do with me I, being impatient I avoid trailers now because of it. Yeah. Um, all right, guys, we're going to wrap this one up. Cool. All right. Anyways, uh, Colin, Trevor, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Colin, thanks for joining me. Not a problem. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Colin, Colin, tone down the enthusiasm. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Calm it down now. Well, this wasn't a sweet, sweet, this wasn't a sweet, sweet movie for him. <laughs> no, it really wasn't. This was a uh, dull he doesn't like Escape from New York or Commando what hell man what what is going on in Colin's head Uh, listen uh, we picked uh, we had a handful of downloads of course we had quite a few come up for uh, Black Widow Uh, Marvel does pretty well for us uh, so we know we know how to milk that gravy train (laughs) or what is it ride the gravy train that's the, that's the saying. Um, welcome to our uh, new downloaders um, from Alaska and in Canada. Um, oh, Alaska and Canada. I hope you hope I hope you understand what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways, hey, I was raised in Minnesota. I can make I can make that. Joke. Oh yeah, sort of. Listen, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us. We do greatly appreciate it. Um, until uh, we're back on the air, you guys all take care. All the best. <laughs>